0: Welcome back to Thoughts with a Woodsman Preacher. This is Pastor Josh Lucci. Uh, this is a sermon that I recorded a while ago. That it's been a while since I've been on, and took me a little while to edit uh, to get out to you guys. So I apologize for the delay. Anyway, uh, listen and enjoy, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. All right, thanks so much. God bless. All right, you guys. So um, this morning we're going to talk a little bit about courage and a little bit about fear. Um, So we're going to be in Joshua chapter 1, so go ahead and open there with me. Um, So this is one of my favorite uh, areas of the Bible, Um, you know, for obvious reasons. I bear the namesake of it. Um, and, you know, my son Caleb is also part of that too, and we'll talk a little bit about names and things like that later. But um, what I'd like for us to do, and this is something I, I picked up as a young person, let's all go ahead and stand um, in honor of reading the scriptures. I think this is important to, to really respect that. So we're going to read through the chunks so that you guys get the, the feel for it, and then we'll talk about it, okay? So starting in verse 1. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land that I'm giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on the land that I've given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north. From the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. Including all of the land of the Hittites. Now that was a problem but we'll get to that. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I'll be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail or abandon you. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors that I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the left or to the right, then you'll be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You may be seated. Thank you for doing that. I know that's a little different, but... <laughs> So, um, we, got, we have a couple of principles that we're going to look at. We're talking about fear. We're talking about courage. Um, you know, fear, I, believe it or not, you guys, I am a person that really struggles with fear. There, there are people that have these, like, traditional thorns in their sides. Fear is mine, okay? And I'm, I'm not afraid to admit it. But um, as a young person, I was really afraid of the dark. Uh, to be honest with you, as an adult, I still don't really like the dark, Uh <laughs> You know, I, um, I'm really into outdoor stuff. I love backpacking and hunting and fishing and all these things. I don't like to do it alone. I've done some solo trips up into the wilderness, and it just gave me the heebie-jeebies, right? It just did. I, I, don't, I don't like to do it. And it has nothing to do with whether or not I'll get lost or survive, none of that. You know, I was a part of the search and rescue team. I know all the wilderness survival techniques and all that. So I, I really, it's not it. It's just an ingrained fear in me. I, it, I just don't like it. So, you know, I had a lot of fears growing up. I remember um, I grew up on a farm, right? And one of my jobs after school was to go and feed the the animals in the back part of the the farm there um, where there's no light or anything like that. And if my homework took too long, then it would be dark by the time I was able to get to it. And we had a cougar that would frequent the area. We were kind of backed up to the mountains. We had bobcats. We even had a bear that would come through every once in a while. And I was absolutely terrified. Every little noise that I heard out beyond the pasture against the trees, I just knew that it was that cougar that was just watching me. I never saw it. (laughs) But I knew that's what it was. And I I just remember that feeling, that anxiety feeling as a young man, just knowing as I'm feeding these animals um, that that cougar was watching me the whole time. And at any moment, it was going to pounce on me. I just knew that was going to happen. And it was fear. It was a really... um, you know, absolutely real terror fear that I had, right? And then you have courage, right, which is kind of the flip side. And this story isn't necessarily about me, it's about my wife. And I did ask permission, she's up there in the booth, um, to tell this story. So um, anyway, so we were um, newly married. I think it was our first Christmas together. And um, her family's tradition was um, a Costco plastic Christmas tree. And our family was to go up into the um, National Forest and get a tree-cutting permit and cut a tree, and so I was like, hey, let's go do this. And um, being the newlywed wife she was, she was like, hey, that sounds fantastic. Uh, little did she know what she was getting herself into. So at the time, I had this little, it was called a geotracker, okay? kind of like a Suzuki sidekick. It's a little tiny, if you think of a Jeep, but if you shrunk it in the wash to where it was really tiny and made of plastic. <laughs> Those are the kind of two things. But um, we, we used to take this thing in places that they should never go. Um, which was really fun when you didn't have kids and you were young and um, spending the night in the woods wasn't a big deal. So we went up in the snow um, up above Cougar Reservoir in the National Forest up there, and we cut our tree, and it was just snowing like crazy and beautiful and tied the tree to the top of the geotracker because they're way too small to fit a tree inside. And uh, so we're we're sitting in there and warming ourselves up. And say, hey, let's um, see how far up we can go, see how much snow we can get into. This will be really fun. So she's like, all right, let's do it. So we go, and we're cruising up, and we're pushing snow up over the front of the car. And this is great. It's fluffy. And About that time, I said, hey, you know, probably this would be a good time to turn around and right into the ditch. Slid right into the ditch. And it was like not a ditch that was a side of it. It was the ditch, and then the, the mountain dropped off down here. And so it's like, well, okay. I, I, we still have plenty of daylight. No big deal. We can get ourselves out. And so I got out and I'm digging snow uh, out from underneath the tires and, you know, trying to stack sticks back there for traction. And it's just, it's kind of working, not really, you know, I didn't have a shovel with me, really wasn't that well prepared for it. And so we're kind of, okay, and it's starting to get a little darker and it's time to get serious about this. And sitting there looking and my wife's in the the tracker there staying nice and warm and like, man, you know what would really do this? If I had a little bit more weight on the front of the car, um to get traction and so i'm like well i have a wife and so i knock on the window she rolls it down i'm like hey would you be up to like hanging onto the hood of the car so that we have a little bit more weight and then we'll back our way down and she kind of gives me this look like okay, (laughs) you know, she's ready to go home, and this might be the key to going home, and so she, and I'm like, okay, so you got to grab on kind of below the windshield wipers, and I said, now, hang on, don't let go, because once we get traction, I'm not going to stop, like, we're going to see if we can, if I stop, we might get stuck again, she's like, okay, so she's got her hat on, her jacket on, and she, so I'm in the driver's seat, she's on the front of the hood like this, and we're staring each other in the face, and so I put it in the reverse, and, and it starts to get, it's working. I can't believe it's working, and it's throwing snow and all kinds of stuff everywhere. And we we start backing up, and we end up having to go about a quarter of a mile with my poor wife hanging onto the hood of the car in the snow. And I can't even imagine what it would look like as a third person. Uh, I, I really wish that we had set up a video camera or something, because that would be really fantastic. But the, the whole idea, you guys, isn't the fact that it took courage for her to do that. It actually took more courage for her to stay married to me afterwards. <laughs> and and so that's really where the courage part comes in. And we, we've done a lot of, of fun and crazy stuff, but when I was thinking of courage, you know, my wife is really a courageous person, right? So, you know, here in, in Joshua, it talks about courage. You have the, the big three, right? It says, be strong and courageous, like, three different times in there. It's really kind of seems like it's really important because he says it over and over again, right? So the question here I want you to ask yourselves as we go through this is, what are you afraid of, and what do you need to have courage with? Kind of have that in your mind. So Joshua, he was born a slave in Egypt. He was Moses' assistant. Um, He was the one that went part of the way up the Mount Sinai and camped out for a long time while Moses was talking to God and getting the tablets. Joshua was a really loyal person, right? I don't think, based on what we just read, that Joshua was naturally courageous. I don't think God would have to say these things if Joshua was naturally courageous. I think he was very comfortable in his position as helper to Moses. I think it worked really well. Moses got to take all the credit, and he also got to take all the blame when things didn't go so well. And Joshua, I think, was like, this is good. I can can do this. This is my happy spot, right? Right? Um, he became the leader of Israel at age 85. So, those of you who are getting close to that, you still have a lot of responsibility ahead of you, right? Joshua was 85 when he took over the reins. Can't imagine that. He led for 25 years. He died at the age of 110, right? So, there's, there's a lot that he did. He was one of the 12 spies, he and Caleb, right? one of the 12 spies that went into the promised land. And here's the great thing about that story is that they didn't come back and say, well, the people aren't that big of a deal. The animals aren't that scary. Let's do it. Nope, they said, the people are big, the animals are scary, and God can do it. Right? Everybody else was like, the people are big, the animals are scary, and there's no way we can pull this off. Right? So I love the fact that they were still honest, they were still accurate, but they had faith. And because of that, they were the only two that were allowed in the promised land afterwards. Right. Um, you know, the, the thing about names, you know, we we looked at my son, Caleb. Right. Um, I remember when um, my wife first told me she was pregnant and we were talking about names. And um, it, it's funny because I had a name in my head for a long time. Like if I have a son, this is what I really want to name him. You guys are going to laugh at this because it's not a traditional name by any means. And my wife laughed the first time the first time, not the second time I told her, but the first time she laughed. Um, I really wanted to name him Huckleberry. I know, right? I told you you guys would laugh. I think it's a great name. I think it's a fantastic name. My sister-in-law ended up naming her dog Huckleberry, which I was really bummed about. But, um, you know, I, I thought Huckleberry would be the coolest name ever ever. Um, and, you know, my wife, as loving and as willing as she is to do most crazy things, was like, no, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> you know, but this idea of, of names, and the Bible talks about names, but Joshua and Caleb, this is one of my reasons my favorite story, is that there's just a lot of courage, a lot of faithfulness, a lot of loyalty to that. And I'm trying to teach my son Caleb some of that story in for that, and it's taken special meaning to him because that's his name. Right? Um, a couple of other things. Uh, Joshua spent th- uh, time on three different military campaigns in the same area. Over that 25 years, it was a long period of cur- courage and courageous activity. Who wrote the book of Joshua? Well, traditionally, everybody thought it was written by Joshua. There's a lot of first-person language that's in there. There's also a lot of language that's not first-person. But um, the, the, kind of the current idea is that he wrote most of it. He probably didn't write the part about when he died because um, that would be weird, but, um, you know, so probably he had some people that filled out the rest of it, and that was not uncommon. Leaders oftentimes, especially in old age, would write down historical, um, you know, context of how they led their people group, and then as they died, people would kind of fill in the blanks, and that would be part of the people group's history that they would keep. So that's not an uncommon thing, but most likely, it's it's commonly accepted that Joshua probably wrote this book, right? So a couple of things that we can learn as we read along here, starting in verse 1, right? It says, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. God is the giver, right? He's a, he is the giver, not just a giver. He's the giver. And, you know, my, when we went through the, the difficult part of Caleb's birth, um, it was really complicated. Lots of hospital. I remember receiving that first bill, and I laughed out loud it was over $400,000 for that that bill. I couldn't believe it. And, of course, that was before insurance and stuff hit. But um, God provided. We were able to walk out of that without any debt. And I can't say that God does that every time, but I've watched God provide for us over and over and over again, not just with money, but with things like, you know, with me going back to school. I was terrified to go back to school. I didn't think I had it in my head anymore. You know, I was like I was past the age in Stuck in my ways, and yet God provided the time He provided the opportunity He provided people in my life to help me. so God is the provider he 's the giver, and he showed that to Joshua. He said, "I will give you every place you set your foot, just as they promised Moses, right going on in verse four it says, Your territory will extend from the desert and Lebanon to the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite county, this great sea to the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. The idea here is that God's promises never fade. Right? We, we sang that song earlier about that. where He's the same God then as he is now right we sometimes you get into the bible and you you know as i love reading the bible through the the lens of culture it was such a different culture and so trying to understand what the writers meant when they were writing this compared to our you know pop culture today or the culture that we were raised in you have to really understand the difference but the, while the cultures might change god doesn't so all these amazing things that happened then the, the god that provides the god that heals the God that gives peace, the God that gives understanding and wisdom, all those things, it's the same God that does that for us now. And sometimes if you really sit in that peace, it's a little bit mind-blowing. You really, you know, as I was studying for it, it's like, wow. So the stuff that happened isn't all that far-fetched and far away. And I've seen God work a few miracles that, you know, to this day, I still go back to. And my dad once told me that sometimes God gives you the dry periods in your life so that you can look back on the periods where he supplied all the water to quench your thirst. You know, and, and so remembering those things. And even more importantly than that, you guys, and you know me, I love to tell stories. And I think that's the really important part about telling stories is that it helps people remember when God provides while you're going through something difficult. If you don't tell your story, then sometimes it's hard to remember, right? I I love telling Caleb's stories about what God's done for our family sometimes before we go to bed. You know, he hasn't experienced a whole lot of the hard stuff yet, but I hope that when he does, and he will... That he'll be able to remember some of those stories. It was a big deal in that culture. There was a lot of verbal history that was going on in that particular culture. You know, that's why they had a lot of the feasts. And that's why they spent a lot of the time around the table breaking bread together. So that they could tell those stories about the amazing stuff that God has done. So that the kids could hear it. And so that the adults could remember it. And so that the older adults could rejoice in it. Right? So I'd encourage you guys to do that too. Tell your stories. The next lesson, as we go through here in verse 6, it says, Be strong and courageous. So that's the first be strong and courageous, right? So you got Joshua, who has seen God. He's seen the pillar of fire. He's seen the manna. He's seen all these things. He's seen the giants. He's seen the scary animals in the land. And you have Moses that just passed away, his mentor, essentially the guy that he followed through all these things, for better or for worse, right? He just passed away, and God has come to him and said, Joshua... I need you to be strong and I need you to be courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their forefathers to give them. The idea here is that God always raises up leaders. God could have zapped the children of Israel from one side of the river to the other. He totally has the power to do that. He created the earth. He created the people. He definitely could have done that. He chose to raise up a leader to do that instead. Right? God could do a lot of things in our church just by a zap. He could raise all the money for Cuba, for the Cuba mission trip. With a snap of his fingers, he could do that. But what does he choose to do? He raises up leaders so that we could do fundraising, so that we could develop our faith, so we could rely on his provision. Sometimes it's not so easy, right? But God always raises up leaders. And one thing that I've learned and I've noticed is that where there is an empty space... God fills it. If we decide to fill it because of panic, or we decide to fill it because of desperation, that doesn't allow God a whole lot of room. I I read a quote this last week that really struck me. Um, It said, It's really hard to hear God's voice when you've already decided what he's going to say. Right. So there's a lot of talk around, um, you know, I'm, I'm waiting to hear from God and, and I want to do God's will. But in our head, we're already like, I really want God to say this. I really want him to say yes. So the question is, are you really asking? Right. I, I've caught my son doing that a few times, you know, where he's asking for something, but he really has already decided what he wants me to say. And so he doesn't really hear the no. And, he, and furthermore, he doesn't really hear the explanation why. It's no. I'm trying to be a good dad. I'm trying to coach him through, well, this is why this is healthy, and we're taking care of, you know, our bodies and our minds, and all he's hearing is, I didn't get the answer I was wanting. And I see that a lot. I see that in myself sometimes, where, you know, you're asking God, God, is this your will? Is this something you want me to do? And he's like, nope. And you're like, what? <laughs> I didn't hear the Yes. <laughs> right, so be careful. It's a warning to you. If you're if you're actually asking God a question, wait for an answer, and be open to either one. Right. So God always raises up leaders. Um, going on here in the next, be strong and courageous. Verse seven: Be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the left or to the right, that you may be successful. Wherever you go, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it, meditate on it day and night so that you may be uh, careful in, to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Now, I want to pause for a second. I think there's an important uh, delineation between Israel, the chosen people of God, and the family, the greater family of God. Yes, I believe that we are engrafted branches into the chosen people of God. But have you guys ever seen a grafted branch where they split the, the branch of the original tree and then they take the other branch and they stuff it in and and they tie it together really tight? So what happens there is that all the nutrients, all the blessing, you could say, from the roots, the water, the nutrients, from the soil goes up through and that new branch gets all the benefit. But you know what? It bears different fruit right people do this with plum trees all the time and apricot trees the pluots right so you get a plum tree and you graft it in with an apricot tree and you get something completely different that new grafted branch does not give you plums it does not give you apricots It gives you something completely different so these promises that we have here that are to the, the pe- specifically to this people of Israel they're important we will absolutely receive the blessing but we have to understand that the children of Israel The chosen people of God are still the chosen people of God. They still have their fruit to bear. Their future is specific. And we are adopted into that family, but we are engrafted branches. The Bible is very specific about that. We will bear different fruit. So when it says, then you will be prosperous and successful, right? There, that is a promise, I believe, that is really specific to the children of Israel for that time. I'm not saying, if we were to read this specifically in this context and apply it to us, it's like, okay, if I am in the word constantly, if I do not let the law of Moses, okay, this whole book here is not the law of Moses. Only in the first couple of books are, right? So we're just taking those books very specifically from that context and saying, all right, so God has promised me if I do all of that, Then you will be prosperous and successful, and yet I cannot pay my bills. So, one of two conclusions. Either God is a liar, or I'm not doing it right. And that is what we call prosperity gospel. Okay, That is a very specific promise to a very specific people in a very specific time. So we have to be really careful to guard ourselves from reading the scripture and saying, Okay, I'm taking this very literally. This is supposed to apply to my life. As long as I do A, B, and C, I will get D every time. That's not the case. Okay? You can apply it to your life. There's a lot of application blessing. Um, I, I have seen my family prosper in ways that are not financial. I wish it was always financial. That would make things a little different. But uh, you know, prosperous and successful, there are a lot of different ways to look at that. You know, I'm, I'm blessed with a son that survived a very difficult early childhood. I'm blessed with a wife. I'm blessed with a family. I'm blessed with a house. Um, in a lot of cases, you could look at that and be very successful. I don't know that that has anything to do with my faithfulness in reading the word. And I think that has everything to do with God's mercy in how he looks at my life. Next lesson, right? So we're looking here. Lesson number five. So verse nine, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. So that's the third, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The lesson here that I'm pulling is have courage and stay encouraged. Okay, so what is courage? What is this, you know, we keep throwing this word around and I keep looking at it. Um, You know, what's, what is, you know, is it boldness? Is it bravery? You know, what is it? And I think boldness is the willingness to take risks. I have a few teenagers in the youth group that are very bold. <laughs> they're the ones that are, that are like jumping off of things and, you know, racing their bicycles really fast. And they're, they're bold people. That is awesome. I'm not sure that that's courage. Then you have those who are brave. Something, uh, bravery is doing something with no fear at all, right? Re- regardless of whatever come what may, you're, you're being brave. And I think there's a time for that. But I think courage is feeling fear and choosing to do it anyway with a purpose. And I think that's the key, with a purpose, right? So, you know, how do we apply that to our lives? I think, um, you know, I've been driving by uh, down 42nd Street. My mother-in-law lives down that direction. And every so often, um, I think it's on Sundays, uh, they have people out on the street corner with a megaphone. Have you guys seen this? Um, They're street preaching, right? Um, and I, I, I'm going to be completely transparent with you guys. I struggle with that. I think that maybe there are some people that receive that well, but what I watch is that there's a lot of people giving the one-finger salute while people are doing that, and that are shaking their fists, and that are offended, and that are angry. So I, I don't know what to do with that. I think that maybe there's a time and place for that. And I was wondering, are those people courageous, Maybe. I don't know. I don't know those people personally. And I was wondering, okay, well, let's just say for a chance that maybe what would be more courageous than that? What would be even more, you know, fear-inducing that we would have to get over than standing on a street corner with a megaphone saying, you are full of sin and you need Jesus or you're going to hell? What would be more courageous than that? I think the answer is developing relationships with people. I think that takes a lot of courage. And I'm not talking about sitting down with somebody and saying, how was your day? I'm talking about true vulnerability, where you are the first person to open up and say, I'm struggling with this. And you earn the right to listen to them. And I think that takes a huge amount of courage. What else takes courage? I think opening up to your children and being vulnerable about your own struggles as a parent, I think that takes a huge amount of courage. You know, every week I see teenagers that are going through things, and the best medicine for the stuff that they're going through is to hear what you went through. So that's what, you know, a lot of my helpers at Youth Group, that's what they do, is they sit there and they say, yeah, I get it. I was there not too long ago. And that's really hard. Here's, here's, here's how I failed, <laughs> so that maybe you can learn from my own failure. I think as a parent, that's even harder because you want to appear that you're in control. You don't want to have any cracks in your authority. I think that takes a huge amount of courage. You know what else takes courage? Admitting to your spouse that you're wrong. That is hard. Especially when, like me, you're wrong most of the time. And, and I'm not saying that to be cheeky or anything. It's just the truth. That is my lot in life. But, um, you know, admitting to somebody when you're wrong... And doing it before you get called out, like you you see that you're wrong, you're in the argument, and you're like, "Ah, you know what? You're right. I was wrong about this. That takes courage. Why? Because you're risking a lot. You're risking being humiliated. Um, Ultimately, you're risking having them change your mind about whatever subject you're arguing about, and that's hard. And I think there's several different kinds of courage, too. You know, wives and husbands, it takes courage to be a leader as a husband, definitely. But I think it even t- maybe even takes more courage to be a follower. I think that's really hard. You know, if, if you're, you're the leader of your household is making a decision that either you don't agree with or you don't see the logic in it, and you say, you know what, I'm going to follow you anyway, I think that yeah, can be really scary. And choosing to do it, even though it's scary, that's, that takes a huge amount of courage. Pastors and churches, you know, absolutely. Leadership and churches, they have to have courage. But you know what takes a lot of courage? is to follow that leadership whether you agree with it or not. To come under that authority and see that unity is more important than being right. You know, my, my dad used to tell me um, you can either be right or you can be reconciled. But very rarely can you be both. You know, I think that's an important lesson for a church to learn as as you become involved in the decision-making processes and whether you agree with it or not, having the courage to follow and to love and to support anyway, that takes courage. Friends, friendships, that can take a lot of courage too. I can remember losing friends because I told them what they really needed to hear. It wasn't something that I wanted to do. And I, I risked it, and sometimes you lose at that risk. And that can take courage. What's the difference, though, between boldness and courage? And I think what it really boils down to is speaking the truth in love. I think that boldness, you can speak the truth. You know, I, I always say never use the truth as an excuse to be mean. Well, it's true. I'm just saying it because it's true. It might be, but are you saying it in love? I think that's where courage comes in. If you need to talk to somebody, you don't just shout in their face and tell them the truth. You do it in a way that they feel loved. And that takes courage, and that takes vulnerability, and that can be scary. I think that all these things are really important. I really want to challenge you guys to figure out what is it in your life that is begging for courage. You know, you see Joshua, and he's about to step into leadership and and lead the children of Israel into the promised land. And he is obviously afraid. God has to encourage him several different times. Not to be afraid. But here's the really fun part. We're going to skip down to the very end of chapter 1. To the very last verse. All right? It says. Anyone who rebels against your orders. And does not. Uh, sorry. Does not obey your words. And everything you command will be put to death. So be strong and courageous. So these are. The, the leaders of the different tribes in Israel that Joshua is talking to, and they're like, yes, we're going to follow you. And then the last thing that they said, this is the fourth be strong and courageous that nobody talks about. So God said the first three. Who said the fourth? The people he was leading. And that hit me the other night, and I was talking to my wife about it, and it's like, okay, so as a leader... You're trying to be strong and courageous. You're trying to move forward. You're trying to, even though you're fearful, you want to make the right decision. But what is it worth if the people you're leading don't support you? That was the fourth, be strong and courageous. And I think that is so key. Whether you're in a marriage relationship, whether you're in a friendship, whether you're in a church pastor relationship, if the rest of everybody else isn't cheering for you, then what's really going on? You know, we see this give and take here, and it just hit me. It was like, wow, this is such a key part of the Be Strong and Courageous piece, is the people that you're with cheering you on. So, okay, in this whole challenge that we're looking at, who do you need to be strong and courageous with? What situation? Okay. Could it be in the church family? Could it be, you know, watching somebody struggle, and you come up alongside them and say, hey, I see you trying You can do it, and not just you can do it, but I'm going to do it with you, and that's what we see here. So we're going to go on to chapter 24, and we're going to see in Joshua chapter 24, we're going to see the fruition of this, Um, and I, I love this transition here. So we're going to start in verse 14 of chapter 24. So, so fear the Lord. Oh, and let me give you context. So Joshua, they've, they've gone in, they've conquered, they've done, they've done all this stuff. They're diving out the land, and he calls all the leaders together for kind of like a one last powwow. And he says, here in verse 14, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone, but... If you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today who you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, or my household, we will serve the Lord. This is a different Joshua than we saw in verse 1. This is a man who has seen God work. And he has courage. You don't see God coming and saying, okay, Joshua, you need to be strong and courageous again. You see a man whose character has changed. And how has it changed? He called all the leaders together. He had a lot to risk. If you really think about it, these are the guys he battled with, right? He, he shed blood with. He led into battle. Um, some of them probably even closer than brothers at that point. So he calls them all together and he says, I'm calling you out. You all still have idols that you've been hanging on to, actual gold figurines that you have been hanging on to that your forefathers had, and I know that you have them. I'm calling you out, and I'm demanding that you choose today. If you want to choose to serve the other guys, go for it. That is your choice. If you choose to serve the Lord, get rid of all the junk that is in your life. But you have to choose. And then here's the important part. Here's where the real courage comes in. He says, you need to choose, and I'm choosing with you. And here's what I'm going to choose. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You do what you will. But this is what I'm doing. And that, you guys, is what God developed in Joshua over that history of 25 years of military campaigns, of bloodshed, of people living and dying and battling, and God providing what he promised, is that you have a man that has full courage. It wasn't easy. I'm sure he was terrified. I'm sure he was thinking, man... Not only could I lose some friends and brothers, but in the land that we're living, we're going to have to do business together. And if I alienate these guys, this is going to be really hard for me to do business and for my family to generationally do business. And that culture, you guys, if you burn somebody, you didn't just burn it for your lifetime. You burned it for your great, great, great grandkids' lifetimes. So he was risking a lot. He was probably still a little worried about the outcome, but he had courage, Right? The first three uh, encouragements from God about courage, and then the fourth one from the people, what happened right afterwards? They crossed the river. God asked them to have courage. Josh, Joshua said, all right, and then he acted. Here, he was faced with a situation where he needed to call his brothers, essentially call his brothers out on their baloney, on the idols that they'd been packing around with him. He called them out, and then he said, I'm choosing with you. So what does that mean for us? Well, it means that it's fine if you're afraid. Even Joshua was afraid. It means that you are being asked to be courageous in whatever that situation is in your mind. And then you have to choose and act on it. So, what do you get to do this week? (laughs) You get to figure out what you're having courage with. And then you do it. Okay, it could, be, it could be talking to your kids about something. It could be talking to your spouse about something. In fact, I was just talking to a friend of mine um, just yesterday about the difference between being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. Right? Peacekeepers will sacrifice themselves and everything else just to keep the peace. I just don't want to argue, so I'm not going to raise these issues. I just want peace peacemakers, which is what we're called to be, will address the issue in order to foster and create peace. And sometimes that's hard. It's not always a peaceful process, but that's what it makes. And that takes courage. So if you're in a situation where you've been a peacekeeper and you need to become a peacemaker, that could be where your courage comes in. Regardless, I am calling you guys out in a Joshua-like style, I'm saying, as for me in my house, we're going to find what we're going to be courageous about this weekend, and we're going to do it. And I'm going to ask you guys to do the same thing. If there are idols in your life that you need to get rid of, just like all the folks there in Israel, then it's time for you to do that and to choose this day who you will serve. It could be time. You guys, time, I think, is this generation's biggest idol. You know... Are we Sabbathing? Are we taking a day of rest? Or are we taking two hours of a church of rest and kind of still thinking about what we have to do after church? I sure get caught up in that. You know, even youth group stuff, it's like, man, I'm exhausted. Why? Because I'm, I'm not really resting. I still have that idol in my life. Is it, you know, work commitments? Whatever it is that you need to prioritize and say, you know what? I'm going to get rid of some of this stuff so they I can wholly and fully dedicate my life to God. Choose this day who you will serve because you just can't do both. If you are finding yourself exhausted, examine are you trying to do both? We think that we're really good at multitasking and even furthermore multi-prioritizing, but the fact of the matter is you guys, all of my psychology classes that I've taken have proven that we're actually not multitaskers. We don't do it well. And God hasn't asked us to do that. He has asked us to choose. So choose today and then act on it. That is my charge to you guys. That is my encouragement to you guys. Um, And I would love to hear how that goes for you guys. As I see you guys next weekend, come and talk to me about it. I'd love to hear you guys' stories and things like that. Or talk to me after the service about what you're planning on doing. Accountability is a really powerful thing. You know, we talk about that in youth group all the time. It's one thing to think the thought, it's another thing to share it, because then somebody's watching you. (laughs) All All right, you guys, let's pray.